good afternoon to all of you. It certainly is a privilege to be here with you. I've been on the road the past couple weekends um, taking care of business, so it's good to be back in Charlotte. Now, brethren, the Sabbath is a special time. The Sabbath is a special time that we're commanded to observe. And by the way, I'd like to thank Miss Julie McNair for the special music. That was very pleasant, very inspiring. The Sabbath is a special time that we're commanded to observe. You all don't have any choice. <laughs> you know, you're to be here. I'm to be here. We're commanded to rest. We're commanded to worship God. We're instructed to back away from our weekly routines. And it's so easy to get caught up in routines where we just grind things out and grind things out and keep on going. But God wants us to back away from things, to get a perspective, to put things in perspective, to focus on a bigger picture, not just the things you have to do, but a bigger picture of why we're here. Mr. Armstrong used to always ask at the Holy Days and the Feast, why are you here? And one of the simple answers is because you're told to be here. (laughs) But we're to be here for other reasons. We're here to focus on the plan of God, focus on God and what he's doing, that he has a plan and purpose, and that we have a place in that plan. We have a place in that purpose. We also need to be reminded that this is Satan's world. There's a lot of confusion in the world today, and that's because this is his world. And he seems to thrive on confusion. He wants to disrupt the plan of God. And he doesn't want you to be in the kingdom of God. And if he can get through to you or get through to ministers, get through to other people, he wants to blow you out of the saddle. And he will use all kinds of things. Everybody's got a hot button. Everybody's got a hot button. It'll get to you. And he likes to press it. And he knows where it is. And we've got to be sensitive to those things. We're here to worship God. We're here to learn. We're here to learn, not just to sing songs and socialize. We're here to learn. We're here to prepare for an exciting and a very important future. We're here to prepare for a very exciting and very important future. I've entitled the sermon today, The Education and Preparation of Godly Leaders. The Education and Preparation of Godly Leaders. And I want to talk about this subject in the context of what's happening today in the world, what's happening today in the church, You know, governments are wrestling today and people today are wrestling, struggling. How do you deal with this COVID uh, pandemic that we have? It kind of popped onto the world. You know, we had a ministerial conference uh, scheduled and uh, the the Westons were, or Mr. Weston anyways, was gallivanting around the world. (laughs) He made it back in time, just in time to cancel the conference. (laughs) But we had some people that got here. They got here early. Uh, So we wound up with, what, 20 or 30 people that were here. And then they had to figure out how to get home. 
because they were canceling plane flights and everything. We never had anything like this in recent history or perhaps even in history at all. We're fighting an invisible enemy you can't see, but it's real. So governments have had to make decisions. You know, people were locked down, schools closed, uh, businesses were closed, and businesses are failing. Uh, people losing jobs, losing homes because they can't make the payments on the homes. Uh, if you've noticed, just driving around town, there are more homeless people standing on the corners asking for money. And some guy had a sign that says, the struggle is real. It's real. I don't know what his particular problems were, but as I mentioned, businesses are closing. People are losing their homes. There's a lot of frustration and anger because you hear one thing, then you hear another thing, then you hear another thing, and people are just frustrated. They're angry. Accusations are flying all around. Uh, and yet there are some people who say it's no big deal. It's all manufactured. Uh, no problems at all. So there's all kinds of things floating around in the world. At the same time, the world stage is shifting. The players on the world stage are shifting. America is losing influence around the world. China is increasing in influence. The prime minister of Japan just resigned, the longest-serving prime minister in their history. So what's going to happen to Japan? Where are they going to go? Who are they going to follow? they got a big neighbor that they can't afford to offend, and that's China, just across a, a little strip of water over there. And some nations are core nations, and some nations are swing nations, and they swing back and forth between the more prominent nations. And Japan is a swing nation. Japan is a swing nation. So the big neighbor next door, they may swing out of the orbit that was oriented towards the United States and the West towards China. So a lot of things are happening. You know, there's a lot of dynamics going on in Germany today, but Germany is coming back. As we've been talking about for 50, 60, 70 years. So things are happening in the world that are we've been talking about literally for years. America's in an election year. And we're probably more deeply divided today than at any time since the Civil War. This is what they're saying. And this is not going to get any better as we move towards the election. We're divided politically, divided racially, ethnically, and people just don't like each other. And this is coming out with all the demonstrations and everything else. But at the same time, the church has faced and had to face this challenge of the uh, uh, coronavirus. We've had a number of meetings. How are we going to hold the feast? Where are we going to hold the feast? How many people can go? And we've had to make some decisions. How can we meet safely? And not everybody's like those decisions. Just like in the political decisions that are being made today in the United States. And there's frustration, there's confusion, there's accusations, there's division. I've been on the road dealing with some of those things over the last, not just the weekends, but three or four days at a time. Uh, I've been up in the Washington, D.C. area, Richmond area. My son is up there today. Uh, Mr. Weiss's Elkett has been up in that area also dealing with issues created essentially by two ministers that got their own ideas and began to promote those things. 
So this is what we're dealing with. This has been very time-consuming operation where we could have been focusing in other directions. But we've had to deal with divisions within those congregations and scattered in other pockets around the country where these men have had some influence. I don't want to dwell on that, but I want to put this in a context of a much bigger uh, world, much bigger things that are happening. Because these were not just two ministers. They were two men who have been over the youth program for the last seven or eight years. They've had an impact on many, many young people. There's confusion in the congregations where they are. There's young people that are confused. What do I do? Where do I go? Uh, why is all this happening? You know, they've not seen it before. Mr. West and I were talking a week or so ago. I said, Doug, we're too old for this. We're too old for this. We've been through this six, eight, ten times. But here it is again. Here it is again. Again, keeping it in perspective. This may involve 100 or 200 people eventually. We don't know fully. But we've got 10,000 members of the Church of God. That's about 1% of the membership. Those of you that are statisticians, you can check my math if I'm wrong, but we can make adjustments. But about 100 out of 10,000, what we're dealing with, it's not a big issue. It's not a big issue outside the United States. It's not a big issue around the country. It's a big issue in a couple of congregations and some pockets where they've had some influence. So, again, we need to keep the perspective. We're going to talk about perspectives as we go through the sermon today. We've been called to become future leaders in the coming kingdom of God. Leaders have to be educated. Leaders have to be trained. Leaders have to be prepared. Because we're going to be dealing with the real world. When Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to be dealing with people who have been disillusioned. We're going to be dealing with people that are confused. We're we're going to be dealing with people that are not sure what to do, who to believe. And part of our challenge is going to be to provide some stability. Talked with a number of people up in the mid-Atlantic area and said, thank you for coming up to provide some stable Uh, some stability up here because we've heard this, we've heard that they had questions they wanted answered and they said thank you and they were thanking headquarters for sending some people to those areas they could say look, look, let's settle down now let's put it in perspective these things have happened before and there are things that we can do to be prepared so future leaders are going to have to deal with real people and real situations and we're being prepared now we're being prepared now. I want to ask a couple more questions. What can we learn as a church from the experiences that we're seeing in the world, the events we're seeing in the world, and the experiences that we're going through today? What can you learn as an individual? What can you learn as an individual? If God is going to put you over a city or over a region, what lessons will, bring, will you bring with you? So you can sit down with people and say, look, uh, you don't have to be confused. There are ways to get through these things. Why is this happening now? We need to remember this is Satan's world. This is not God's world. And Satan thrives on deception. He thrives on confusion. He thrives on division. 
So when you look around and ask, what are the fruits of this? What are the fruits of that? What are the fruits of that? Those fruits become pretty obvious as to who is behind these things. Another question, how can we avoid getting caught up in the confusion today? How can we avoid getting caught up in the issues today? Well, there are things that we can do. Appreciated the sermonette today. Getting back to basics, there are things that we can do. How can you remain steady when everything begins to shake? When everything begins to shake. Uh, I think some young people were talking, and I think one of their comments was, Oh, it looks like everybody's leaving. Well, everybody isn't leaving. <laughs> you got 1%, 100 or so out of 10,000. That's not everybody. Now, it may be within your uh, immediate connections. It may seem that way. But again, we've got to back off and look at the bigger picture. What I'd like to do in the sermon is to cover six points. I tried to come up with seven, but I didn't have time. <laughs> in fact, I was working on the sermon, and I happened to look at the clock, and it was 12.05. <laughs> and I figured I'd better get up to uh, where church is going to be. I did check with Mr. Strain yesterday, and he said it does start at 1 o'clock, so be here. <laughs> so I made it about five minutes of... Uh, uh, five minutes to one. But I want to cover six points that are important for the education and preparation of godly leaders. Because you're being prepared. We're all being prepared for some big jobs ahead. I'm going to borrow from Mr. Armstrong for point number one. Because he went through a series of ups and downs in the church. Uh, rebellions here and this and that there. But his main point was you need to remember that God is on his throne. That God is on his throne. God is in charge. He knows what's going on. He's in charge. He can handle it. He has a plan. He has a purpose that he's working out on this earth. He knows that Satan doesn't like it. He knows that Satan's going to try and disrupt it. But a couple of scriptures, I'll, jot, I'll mention some of them and then jot some of them down. You can jot some of them down. This is an interesting podium because everything wants to slide to the bottom. <laughs> but go to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Because it gives you this feeling and it gives you this, this message that God knows what he's doing. He's in charge. Isaiah 46, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. And Isaiah is addressing critics. He says, remember this and show yourselves men. In other words, stand up and face the facts. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end or the future or the outcome from the very beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. The word here for counsel means my plan, my purpose will stand. It's not going to falter. It's not going to change. It's going to stay on schedule. He says, I will do my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. In other words, he has instruments that he uses even among the nations of the world. He's going to use the Germans. They're very efficient in what they do. <laughs> they can misguided, can be misguided sometimes, and I are one. So, 
I'm not speaking against them. <laughs> I'm just acknowledging uh, certain characteristics. Uh, calling a man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken, says God, and I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it or proposed it, and I will also do it. God's in charge. He's on his throne. He knows what he's doing. He knows what Satan is trying to do. Another scripture, Isaiah 64. Move ahead a couple of pages. Isaiah 64 and verse 8. I think we need to understand this and remember this as we go through trials and tribulations. It says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are the potter, and we are the work of your hands. God is our Father. He's the potter. We're the clay. He's called us to become kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God. These are big jobs. He knows what we need to do the job that he's calling us to fill. You might think, I'm ready. I'm ready. And God probably shakes and said, well, that's a good attitude, but you need some molding and fashioning yet. If you think back in your life, I've been through experiences, you've been through experiences that you wouldn't have chosen to go through on your own. But God realized we needed some molding and fashioning. We're not ready yet, but he's preparing us to be ready. He's preparing us to deal with issues. As we learn to deal with issues like we're going through within the church right now, and like we've been through six, eight, or ten times, we should have a certain stability that emerges. I think for young people, seeing two people that have influenced them greatly, it's, it's, it's shattering. You know, I was an ambassador to college whenever things came apart in Pasadena. I was an ambassador to college again in Texas when things came apart. It was a lot easier the second time. <laughs> the first time was not easy. You know, my wife was six months pregnant, I think, with a second child. I lost my job. The church seemed to be coming apart. I was giving my walking papers. I thought, no, 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 not now. This is not a good time. But looking back, we got through that. The second time around, and Dr. Germano called me into his office. He said, Doug, i got to fire you. I said, I know. <laughs> he said, no hard feelings. I said, no hard feelings. You're doing what you got to do. It was interesting, the doors that opened up after that. We had a house to sell in Big Sandy. And uh, <clears throat> just a real quick story here. Uh, Dr. Germano asked me to give a special class for a student. He wasn't even my student. He said, the kid needs uh, one or two units to graduate. Would you create a special class for him? So I did, an independent study. I found out during the class his, wife, his mother was a realtor. When I lost my job, we had to sell the house. I said to his, this boy as we were giving him his final exam, do you think your mom would be willing to sell my house at a lower commission rate? <laughs> He said, let me talk to her. So I'd done her son a favor. So she did me a favor. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I can, I can give you a better rate. Uh, she took a man out to look at a house that had grown up in Big Sandy. He didn't want to live in Big Sandy. He said, I want this house by a lake. She said, would you just look at the house? He had his wife and daughter with him. 
He says, I don't want to live in Big Sandy. She said, but please, just do me a favor, look at it. He came by, his wife and his daughter loved the house. He paid cash for it. Things worked out. If we do things God's way, we look to him to guide and lead us. I was talking to Mr. White Sizelka this past week. They moved up to to, uh, to uh, Raleigh. And he said, you know, we looked all around Raleigh, north, south, east, and west. The only thing we could find was on the northeast side of Raleigh, about two hours from Richmond. This was a couple years ago. He's now going to serve the Richmond congregation in, in addition to Raleigh. When you look back, you realize how God has intervened time after, and I'm just giving you a couple of examples. And for those of you who've been around for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, you should be able to look back in your life and say, God intervenes this way and that way, and share these lessons with some of the younger people that are experiencing something for the first time. God has called us for reasons. He's preparing us for jobs. He's going to get us ready, and he will get us through. You know, there's a scripture in Romans 8.28 that all things work to the good for those that are called according to the purpose of God. All things. And that could be anything that happens. God has a purpose in mind much bigger than just here and now. And if we can focus on that, that will get us through these challenges. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 and 18, talks about we've been called out of this world. We've been called out of this world. So we need to rise above the world. Don't get sucked into the world. But we've got to maintain a bigger focus. We've got to maintain a bigger focus. We need to remember that this is Satan's world. He's the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. He's in charge. He's the one that is behind the divisions, the demonstrations, the confusion, the anger, the accusations that fly around the world. But we've got to be able to recognize where he's operating. We need to be able to recognize where he's operating Because the fruits of what he does are not good. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be division. And when we see those kinds of fruits, that should be a clue that God is not there. God is not in that. Now, we're going to have to be dealing with people coming out of this world that have seen all kinds of confusion, all kinds of hatred. And we'll have to explain to them there is a God and there has been a God of this world. That's why the problems are here. When Christ returns, there's going to be a new God of this world. It's going to be a very different world. And part of our job is going to be explain how to do things God's way, not the world's way. So, brethren, point number one in preparing godly leaders is those leaders need to know and need to understand very deeply that God is real, he's on his throne, he has a way of doing things that's very different from the ways of this world. So we need to remember that as trials come along. A second point in preparing godly leaders, 
those leaders need to recognize and value their special calling. They need to recognize and value their special calling. You are here by invitation. You have been invited by God, by Jesus Christ, to be on his team, to be prepared to reign with him in the coming kingdom of God. Maybe review Matthew 4, where it talks about Jesus choosing his disciples. Peter and Andrew, James and John, he chose them specifically. Now, he was about 30 years of age. He probably grew up around these individuals. He knew what his job was, to call and train disciples who would then build his church, the foundation laid on his teachings. But they were part of the building blocks. And he probably had a number of years to watch these individuals. And he was probably making notes mentally. I've watched him deal with this. I've watched him deal with that. God just didn't reach into a a, a jug and pull out a name. Mm, That's an interesting name. (laughs) No, he's called each and every one of us. In John 15, 16, let's read that one. John 15 and verse 16. And we've, we've looked at this before, but these are fundamentals. Jesus was talking with his disciples the night before he was crucified. And he's reminding them. The disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They had a ways to go in their conversion process. But that's what they were arguing about. Who was going to be the greatest? But Jesus reminded them, verse 16, You did not choose me. You did not choose me. I chose you. Put your name in there. Well, I'm here because my mom and dad are here. I really don't want to be here. But uh, (laughs) you're having an incredible opportunity to understand the plan and purpose of God. That most of your peers in this country are not having that kind of an opportunity. I mentioned that to the students uh, on Thursday. We've got 12 students here, but we've probably got three or 400 young people in the church. And they're having a very special opportunity to be here, to get to know people individually, to focus for a whole year on God's plan and purpose. These are incredible opportunities. But Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Do you value that calling? You can read in Matthew 13 where Jesus was asked, why do you speak in parables? Because he said it's been given to you, his disciples that were there in his presence, to understand the plan and purpose of God. We talk about it every Sabbath. We talk about it at the feasts. And when people stop keeping the feast, one of the guys I talked with in Pasadena years ago, uh, he got caught up in an issue that was boiling around in the eastern part of the U.S. I mentioned the people up in Washington. There seems to be something in the water up there. (laughs) Because things have happened up there before. I think in that particular case back in the 70s, I think we lost, what, 20, 30 elders, maybe 2,000 or 3,000 people. 
Where are they today? I have no idea. They're not involved with the work. They're not involved with the work. But I called, I think it was this individual, I said, you know, it's about time for the feast. He said, oh, yeah, <laughs> the feast. So you stop doing it. You stop keeping it. You lose track of the plan and purpose of God, of why we're here. You never want that to happen. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 28, Paul mentions there, not many wise, not many mighty are called now. But God is calling the weak and the foolish. And I've said, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, you've got to be dumb enough to believe what's in the book. To actually believe it. Because there are people today that say, if you believe it, you're nuts. Hello, nuts. <laughs> no, you've got to prove certain things to yourself. But Paul said, not many are called now. That's why there's only a few of us here. And Satan would like to have less of us here. But God's called you for purpose, for a reason. Matthew 13, also verses 18 to 23, is the parable of the sower. Now there's four groups of people talked about there that hear the truth. Some by the wayside and it just it falls on, on, on ground that's not going to grow. The wayside. Something comes along. A friend of mine uh, was in a hospital up in Boston where we lived there. And he said, somebody sent me a copy of your magazine. I don't know who it was. That was really interesting. But then I, I, I got busy with my job and everything else and just forgot about it. But it talks about a group of people that hear, but they're, they're really not interested. Things get in the way. Another group of people on stony ground, there's no root. Trials come along. Wow, that's, that's exciting. I, I just lost my job. I can't afford to do anything right now. Or I got sick, or this happened, or the other thing happened. Trials come along, and they falter. Some seed falls among thorns, and the cares of this world take them away. The cares of this world, different priorities. Well, you know, this is interesting, but I, my first priority is to do this or to do that. And they lose out on an incredible calling. In the final group, the seed falls on good ground. It takes root. It's nourished. And they bear fruit with that. In Revelation 3, verse 11, it talks about, Let no man take your crown. Don't let anybody take your crown. You've been called to become part of God's family, to inherit eternal life. You know, as I get older, eternal life sounds rather interesting. <laughs> when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, I wanted to live this life now. I wanted to experience this and experience that. I wasn't ready to give my life to a mission at that time. But as we get older, our hair falls out, our teeth fall out, and various things happen. <laughs> Eternal life sounds a lot more interesting, a lot more exciting, because you can go on forever and meet your grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren, and uh, in the resurrection you're going to meet your great-great-great-grandfather and grandmother, find out where you came from, 
It's going to be a very exciting time. But don't let anybody take that away from you. You know, when I got fired down in, in Big Sandy by one of my former students, <laughs> he's sitting there saying, you know, I said, you know, if, if you were if you were preaching and teaching from this book, would support you. I said, you're preaching your own ideas. He said, you're right. <laughs> How do you deal with a situation like that? But I got fired, and as I walked out, one of the guys I played basketball with, I poked him in the ribs. But what was going through my mind was, you can't have my crown. You can't have my crown. I'm not going to give it away. I'm not going to give it up for what you're doing. Brethren, we've got to have that kind of determination. We've got to have that stick to but don't let anybody take your crown. And we'll talk about ways that they will try to do that. You've been called. You've been a very special calling for a very important reason. Value that. Hang on to that. Never let go of that. The fact that you've been called out of this world to be part of a very special group of people. It doesn't make us any better than anybody else. It does make you different. And it does offer you an incredible opportunity that the world is going to get sooner or later, but not right now. That's point number two. Value your special calling. Number three. Number three, stay focused on the big picture. Stay focused on the big picture. Dr. Meredith talked about that a lot. I still remember an email that we got from some lady. She says, I'm so tired of hearing about this big picture. I want to hear something else. And there have been groups that stop talking about the big picture and talk about you and how God loves you. Now, God does love each one of us. But there's a bigger picture involved. A bigger picture involved. Two aspects of this. We need to stay focused on the mission of the church. We need to stay focused on the mission that Jesus Christ gave to his church. You read about that in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what he was preaching, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he said, repent, change, refocus your life. Many of us were focused in a very different direction whenever God began to intervene in our lives. I wanted to be a doctor, wanted to do some other things, and I realized once I came in contact with the church, there's a different set of priorities. There's a different set of priorities. And I decided to focus in a different area, teaching instead of medical uh, doctors. Then I went to Ambassador College, and I found out they'd hired a medical doctor, and he was paid three or four times what I was being paid. And I thought, oh. But, you know, even driving around dealing with some of the issues I've been dealing with in the past couple of weeks, I'd still rather do that than be looking down somebody's throat <laughs> or other places. <laughs> uh, sitting in an office. I'd much rather do that. I've enjoyed working with students over the years. Uh, God's preparing us for something different. And we've got to be willing to jump on board whenever your mind is open to see what that direction is. It's exciting. 
Matthew 16, 15, we're to go into all the world and preach that gospel. That gospel is about the coming kingdom of God. It's a warning about what's coming so that people can avoid what is coming. Ezekiel warning. This is the mission of the church. Matthew 10, verses 6 to 8, he said, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You have to know who those people are and where they are and why they need to be warned. Because we've been blessed incredibly in this country and some of the other countries in the Western world. But the rest of the world has not been. But people need to understand why. But there are responsibilities that come with those blessings. There are responsibilities. When you renege on the, on the responsibilities, then there are going to be serious consequences. And part of our job is to explain that, to help people understand that. Matthew 28, verse 19, let's look at that quickly. Again, this is the mission of the church. This is what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be doing, not having little groups meeting here and there, but they have a focus on reaching the world. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said after his resurrection, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Those people that are interested, those people that want to believe, explain how they can become a disciple, how they can be in the kingdom of God. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, Lord, I will with you always to the end of the world. One other scripture. In Acts chapter 1, again, Jesus was talking with his disciples <clears throat> after the resurrection, just before he ascended into heaven. This was their final marching orders in that sense. Acts chapter eight and verse Acts chapter one and verse eight. Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me or of me, or for me, in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, that local area, the eastern end of the Mediterranean, and to the end of the earth, to the ultimate points of the compass. He's talking about a big commission. You know, Mr. Mario Hernandez has been down to Terra del Fuego, at the very tip of South America. Mr. Weston has been... I think above the Arctic Circle or close to it up there. These are the ends of the earth. I've been to Cape Town, South Africa, as several of you have been. <laughs> They're at the bottom. Uh, <clears throat> you jump back to England. A number of us have been to Land's End, <laughs> which is way in the southwest corner. And you'll see these signs down there, last pub before the United States. Last motel before the United States. You're looking out over the Atlantic. But we've actually been to the ends of the earth. Some of these other prophets and apostles that we've got today have never been to these places. But it's your tithes and offerings, my tithes and offerings, that make these things possible. And if you're going to be a kingdom, be a king and a priest in the coming kingdom of God, you're going to be going to the ends of the earth too to work with people. It's very exciting perspective. 1 Timothy 3, was it 2 Timothy 3 here? No, <clears throat> I'll get it. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 
This is part of the instructions given to the church, given to Timothy. And Paul is writing to Timothy. These are pastoral epistles. Here's how you handle churches. Here's how you handle congregations. These are qualities you look for in leaders. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, I urge you, talking to Timothy, when I went into Macedonia, you remain in Ephesus. It had one of the seven wonders of the world there, a big temple, a lot of magic and other things going on. That you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Don't come up with your own ideas, even though you might believe them implicitly. So don't come up and promote your own ideas. You teach what you've been taught. You teach no other doctrine. Nor give heed to fables, little stories that you make up or assumptions that you make up. Nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies which cause disputes. And where you see disputes and arguments and issues, that's not where God's spirit is working. Rather than godly edification, which is the faith. Uh, Verse 7, some desire to become teachers of the law, understanding neither what they uh, say nor the things which they affirm. So we're not to be teaching other doctrines. One other mission of the church, you read about it in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Part of our mission as a church This was the purpose and mission of John the Baptist, and it applies to us today. Verse 17, he will also, talking about John the Baptist, go before him, that is before Jesus Christ, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Part of our job is to train and educate people who will be able to become kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God, to be able to explain the truth of God, to be able to explain the doctrines of the church that are based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is the mission of the church. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mr. Ames was talking about the mission of the church and he had this uh, handout where he had the copy of the sevenfold mission or commission of the living church of God. I don't mind uh, following his footsteps because we are to be of the same mind and the same judgment. We need to go back and look at those things. And somebody starting another organization, are they following these things? The big things are listed there. And those are the things we need to focus on. So to stay focused on the big picture, focus on the mission of the church, and focus on your personal mission. Now, what is that? Focus on your personal mission. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And notice the instruction that Paul was giving to the Philippians as a congregation, as a people. Philippians 2 and verse 5. I'll eventually get to Philippians. It is in my Bible. I have faith. (laughs) Philippians 2, 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, 
which was, which was also in Jesus Christ. Part of our mission is to develop the mind and develop the character of Jesus Christ, to think as he thinks. You know, these little wristbands that you can buy in religious bookstores, WWJD. What would Jesus do in any circumstance? What would he do here? What would he do there? David said he meditated on the word of God all day long. Now, David was not walking around the palace with his nose buried in the Bible and in, or, or the scriptures and then tripping over things because he wasn't watching. No, he was thinking. He had decisions to make. And when you want to make those decisions, you, you go to the book, you look for principles that are there. So God is molding and fashioning us so that he begins to understand what's in our heart, what's in our mind. You know, as we heard in the sermonette, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you know, what we build with, wood, hay, or stubble, that, that building is going to be tested. That building is going to be tested. You know, you build with straw and the wind comes along. It blows away. But if you build with cement block, with rebars down through the, <laughs> the cement block, it's not going to blow away when the wind blows. The parable about building on a rock and not on sand. I think I got you the picture from my grandkids that they hung in their bathroom. And so is a sandcastle on the shore that's washing away by the waves. But there's another castle up on a hill on the rock. And that's not going to blow away. But we're all going to be tested. As ministers, we're going to be tested. As members, we're going to be tested. As parents, we're going to be tested. When one of your children goes one way and another one goes another way. And you're praying for both of them. You'll be tested in your marriage. You're going to be tested in a lot of things. Because God is going to give us eternal life, but he's got to know what makes us tick. He's got to know what decisions we're going to make under pressure, under temptation. It's easy to say, well, I wouldn't do that until you're tempted. Somebody presses your hot button. And all of a sudden, well, I'm not so sure now. Because if I make this decision, I'm going to lose. If I make that decision, I might lose. But again, God is going to guide us if we give him the, the um, <clears throat> opportunity to do that. We need to develop the qualities that are described in Matthew chapter 5. Maybe jot some of these things down and spend some time on this. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are humble and teachable. Blessed are those who look to God. These are the qualities we need to develop. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. Look at your own life over the past week. What fruits do you see there? Do you see strife and arguing and doubt and whatever? Or do you see confidence? Do you see a willingness to learn? 1 Corinthians 13, you talk about love. What are the qualities of godly love? You don't impute motives to anybody? You forgive? These are all qualities that we need to develop. Qualities of godly leaders. You know, one of the books that we 
were referred to at Ambassador College years ago was the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Now, Ben was a, a good deist. He believed in the values of Jesus Christ, but he wasn't sure that he was divine. I was talking with another faculty member that I taught with a number of years ago. I reconnected with him not too long ago. And I said, where are you? He said, what do you mean? I said, where are you when it comes to the church? Where are you when it comes to the beliefs that we once shared? And he said, well, uh, I believe that uh, Mr. Armstrong was uh, uh, used by God. And I believe that Jesus Christ was a very special person. But I don't think he was divine. Neither did Ben Franklin. Neither did Ben Franklin. But Ben Franklin tried to improve his character on his own. He made a list of 13 virtues. Why 13? Because he could do one virtue a week, focus on one virtue a week, and do that four times a year, 52 weeks. But he tried to improve his own character. You might make a list of your own. Loving, forgiving, uh, easily entreated. James talks about that. But focus on one per week. See what you can do. See where you'll be a year from now if you actually make that effort. Ben was trying to do that as a carnal human being. But we can do things like that. But we need to develop these qualities if God is going to give us the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. And if God sees you trying to do these things, you're going to say, there's somebody that's serious. There's somebody that is serious. So again, focus on the big picture, on the mission of the church, on why you've been called, what you can do to prepare for the coming kingdom of God. Don't get caught up in twiggy issues. Again, look at the chart that Mr. Ames was talking about. Notice what's on here. Servant leadership, restoring apostolic Christianity, being examples uh, to the church of God in the world, uh, focus on end-time prophecies, says nothing about masks and singing. Focus on the big picture. Focus on the big picture. And you're not going to be sidetracked. You're not going to be sidetracked on issues that are not part of that big picture. Number four. <clears throat> Again, we heard some of this in the sermonette. Number four, quality of uh, or part of the education and preparation of godly leaders is to build and maintain a firm foundation. Build and maintain a firm foundation. When I came into the church, I learned about a scripture I'd never heard before, and that was 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, where it talks about prove all things, examine everything, and then hold on to, hang on to what is right and what is true. Now, what do we mean by a, found, a firm foundation? You need to have settled in your own mind, does God exist? You need to know in your own mind, does God exist? You know, I use some of those examples. <clears throat> uh, God has provided just a home for us when we moved. We didn't know what was <laughs> going to happen. But things like that have happened over and over again. 
I had a job offer back in Massachusetts to teach a university back there after the college closed in Pasadena. Uh, it was a state school. They didn't have money to pay for your interview. <laughs> and uh, my father-in-law said, uh, you're going to pay for your own interview to fly the whole way across the United States? I said, uh, Dad, it's a job offer. You're nuts. <laughs> he was used to working in the corporate world. We want to hire somebody, you pay for their interview. You get them there and, and send them back. I asked the lady that uh, was interviewing me, I said, look, I can't afford for you to fly, I can't afford to fly over for you to look at me. <laughs> I'd like to know that I have a chance for the job. She said, well, I can't tell you where you are, but you're not number two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight. <laughs> so I said, on that basis, I will come. So I decided to look for a house while I was there, spent a day or two with a realtor, and I found a house that we could afford. We'd have had to spend weeks cleaning it out. It was such a mess. <laughs> but it was something we could afford. And uh, I said, well, make an offer on that. I went back to California, and I called her and said, what happened? She said, well, I went, I'm sorry. I forgot to get a signature. And somebody came in and made a cash offer right after you were there. I said, what do I do now? I can't afford another trip. She said, what about that other house we looked on the street that looked like an upside-down swimming pool? Because <laughs> it was painted this green-blue color. <laughs> Every room in the house was a different color. It was unique. So I said, why don't you make an offer on that? I did not know in two years I'd become a minister, and I would be traveling all over that section of the country. The second house was about three minutes off of an interstate where they connected. And that was pretty much where I traveled. But God knew that. We started painting the house and people driving by stopped and said, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but God had a plan and a purpose. And this was just one example. Nick, for those of you that have been around for a long time, you should be able to go back and say, here's a case, here's a situation, there's another case. And share these stories with people that are experiencing some of these trials and tribulations first time around. Let them know that God does exist. But you need to know that. Now, you can review the booklet, and I mentioned this to the students, you know, the real God, uh, <clears throat> proofs and promises. But go through that. That's intellectual. But you need to know individually that God does exist. You need to have a relationship with that God. God, please guide me, lead me. For those of you young people who will be looking for somebody to marry, I would encourage you, look within the church. Look within people that believe the way you do. Otherwise, uh, all bets are off. It may work out okay and it may not. But make God part of the process. You need to know that he exists and that he cares. Second aspect of maintaining a firm foundation. Is the Bible the inspired word of God? Is the Bible the inspired word of God? If it is, if it is, as Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for instruction and reproof in righteousness. 
Do you believe every word of it? Now, some of the problems we're having today is that they want to take a couple of verses that support this, but then they ignore other verses that tell you how to do certain things. And they're just not interested in those verses. When I brought it up to some people, well, they changed the subject. But you've got to believe it all. You can't pick and choose. And when we're dealing with people in the world, in the, in the coming kingdom of God, you've, they've got to understand that this book is like no other book on the face of the earth. It's not like the Koran. It's not like the writings of Confucius. It's not like the Upanishads in India. This is totally unique and has been preserved, even though people want to destroy it. And the way to a successful life and the way to be an effective godly leader is to read it and believe it and use it when things get tough. So maintaining a strong belief. Another thing that you need to do as far as building a foundation is answer the question, where is the church that Jesus Christ founded today? Where is the true church of God? Is it here? Is it there? Where is it? And you need to do that for yourself so that you know. And Mr. Armstrong used to say this all the time. You need to know that you 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 know what the truth is. You know, I don't have any doubts why I'm here. You shouldn't have any doubts why you are here. If you do have doubts, address them. Talk to somebody. Talk to some people that have been around for 50, 60 years. And Mr. Ames has been around for a long time. Talk with him and ask him, why are you here? I remember when I wanted to be baptized, I was counseling with a man that wasn't too much older than I was. And uh, he said, why do you think this is the church of God? I said, well, because of your understanding of prophecy and everything. And I said, why do you think it's the church of God? (laughs) Because I wanted to know why he was there. He says, well, prophecy is important, but it's the way of life that works. It's about a way of life that actually does work. I didn't have the maturity at that time to understand what he was talking about. But I can look back on it now and say, because it works. And because of an understanding of prophecy. And because of a number of other things. So you need to know where God's church is today. And so it's just a matter, well, that's your opinion or my opinion. No, you prove these things. You prove these things to yourself. You might also look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. talks about fundamental doctrines there. There is a judgment coming. And some people are going to be very surprised when that judgment comes that have made some different decisions. Notice, if you would, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is part, again, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was talking with his disciples, going over some very important fundamentals. But there's a warning here in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, you're my boss, you're my God, Not everybody that says that shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the person that does the will of my Father in heaven. That will is described in the Bible. 
there are other instructions there we'll talk about in just a little bit that you can't ignore. Well, I'm focused over here. I'm not worried about that. No, you can't be focusing all over the place. You've got to focus on everything. Many will say to me in that day, and my guess is many scattered through the different churches of God, many who go to church on Sunday, many who do good things, will be quite surprised. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful wonders in your name? And then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. We never connected. We weren't on the same page. Interesting, one of our talks in the last couple of weeks, the individual says, look, we're, we're on different pages. We're on different pages. You go your way, I'll go mine. We can't be on different pages and expect to be in the kingdom of God together. That doesn't add up. It's going to be sobering, I think, when people realize, wow, I was on a different page. I didn't think it was that big a deal. Because we both love God. We both keep the feast. We both do this. You know, reality is going to strike at some point in time. It's not going to be comfortable. Then it talks about building your house on a rock, back to the foundation that we were talking about. Heard an interesting sermon by an individual who was in college whenever we were there. He grew up on a farm, and one of his sermons was, stay in the middle of the cornfield. Stay in the middle of the cornfield. Because you notice on a cornfield, the, the plants that grow on the edge of the cornfield, they're short, <laughs> with no ears, but the, but the corn plants in the middle of the cornfield are protected from the wind by other plants. They're the tallest, and they have good ears. He's no longer a minister. You know, so we need to listen to ourselves when we talk. These are tragedies. Hopefully, people like that will wake up at some point in time. We can pray for that. But it was a good sermon. In fact, uh, Mr. Strain and I were just talking about that the other day. He heard the same sermon. But we you know, listen to what we're saying. Uh, I'm an old guy up here. Over the hill, gang. But, but we watch a lot of people go over the hill and jump off the cliff. It was like the joke I think I've told before that these two preachers were out fishing by a fishing hole. And uh, they heard this car roaring down the gravel road. And, uh, boy, he's really going fast. And all of a sudden they heard this screeching of brakes and a big splash. And the guy said, I'm going to walk over and see what's happening. He said, the bridge is out over there. The bridge is out. So he heard another car coming. He ran and found some cardboard and wrote on it. He said, I've got to warn them. Let them know the bridge is out. Gar comes roaring by, blows the horn. Get out of the way. And there's another big splash. The guy came back all dejected. And the second minister said, what did what, 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 you put on the sign? He said, I put Repent. Turn around and go a different direction. It was not there. That was to be understood. 
But the guy wasn't familiar with what repentance was all about. You know, so build us a firm foundation. Stay close to the trunk of the tree. Stay in the center of the cornfield. And don't get out on the edges because that's where the problems arise. That's point number four. Number five. Learn and develop the skills of leaders. Learn and develop the skills of effective leaders. Now, what are some of those skills? Let's just mention them briefly. Leaders need to develop wisdom and discernment. Wisdom is able to make wise decisions when you have decisions to make. Discernment involves figuring out where the truth is and where it's not. Where people are following God and where they're not, even though they may be talking about it. How do you develop that? 1 Kings 3, verses 7 to 9, Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom. I remember when I first came into the church, I was reading Proverbs, and uh, uh, it talks about uh, uh, asking for wisdom, seeking wisdom. I prayed about it. I woke up the next morning, and I didn't feel any wiser (laughs) than I was the night before. We've got to do more than ask. Proverbs chapter 2 talks about seeking wisdom, looking for wisdom. You ask older people, more experienced people, what about this? What about that? Have some of the older men here talk to you, and older women. What happens when people jump the track? What happens when people come up with their own ideas and begin to present those things? What's the outcome? What's the outcome? And Mr. Armstrong said years ago, he says, Every time there's been a split, that split comes to nothing. Every time there's been a split, it comes to nothing. It may take some time. It may take a couple of weeks, it may take a couple of years, but it comes to nothing. See, this is an older, wiser person talking. Wisdom comes from uh, asking and talking and listening. Study the proverb. Maybe take a proverb a day. Do this a couple times a year. Read it in the morning. Watch and notice through the day. And read it in the evening. And some of those verses are literally going to jump off the page. You know, I made this statement about my dad. That my mom and dad gave me certain principles growing up. But I realized when I went to college that my dad really learned a lot. When I went to college. <laughs> I realized he knew what he was talking about. Even though he was not in the church, uh, he read the Bible a bit. But he had experience in common sense. He had experience in common sense. One of the Proverbs, just notice, Proverbs 14, 12. It says, The way that seems right to a man or to a person, but its end is the way of death. And somebody may be really convinced in their own mind, I really believe this is right. But also in Proverbs 15.22, it says there's safety and a multitude of counsel. I don't need any counsel. I'm convinced. No, you better listen. You better listen. You might be convinced in your own mind. But the proverb says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So asking for wisdom and discernment, being teachable, 
You know, David had this attitude, show me, teach me. Read Psalm 119. He said, show me, teach me. Help me see the wisdom. Help me to see the wonders in your word. Read the first 30 verses of Psalm 119. He was a very teachable individual. Numbers chapter 12 says, Moses was meek above all people. He was teachable. He was a military man. He gave commands. But he was also teachable. God could work with him. Learn how to resolve conflicts. This is something that leaders need to be able to do. They need to be able to resolve conflicts in their scriptural instructions. Let's look at Deuteronomy 17 quickly. Deuteronomy 17. Now, these are part of the inspired word of God. And when we don't do these things, then we get into trouble. Deuteronomy 17, Moses is being given some advice by his father-in-law. Beginning in verse 8, If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between you and the degrees of guilt for bloodshed, various things, or matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go to the place where the Lord God chooses. You shall come before the priests, the Levites, to judge there in those days and inquire of them, and they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of the judgment. In other words, you'll get advice. And you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce in the place where the Lord chooses. Verse 11, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn to the side, to the right, or the left. Verse 12, now the man who acts presumptuously... I don't need advice. I know what's right. I'm going to do what I think that I think is right. The man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or judge, that man shall die. That's quite a sentence. But that's not done yet. So you shall put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. These these are the instructions that God gives us for resolving issues. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus told his disciples, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So the church has a prerogative of making certain decisions. Then in Acts 15, there was an issue over circumcision. They got together, a decision was made, and that was issued to the church. So these are the instructions. But if we ignore these instructions and do our own thing, then there will be serious consequences. There will be confusion. final point I want to make is that uh, godly leaders learn from history. Godly leaders learn from history. They learn from biblical history. They should be able to learn from secular history. They should be able to learn from church history. number of examples, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to about 11. It mentions a whole ser- a series of examples from the Old Testament. And then Paul was telling the Corinthians, these lessons have been recorded for our admonition upon whom the ends of the earth 
have come. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. There's some very powerful examples there. Number 16, Korah. Uh, Somehow he got 250 leaders on his side against Moses and Aaron. So Moses and Aaron must have done something. They said, you took too much on yourself. You know, the whole congregation is holy. You didn't consult us, (laughs) whatever it was. But it got 250 leaders on his side, but God then opened up the earth, and they were the ones that fell in. They had an issue. It may have been legitimate, but God did not put up with that. You know, again, Moses was a military man. He may have issued a command or something. We're not told all the details, but it was a very serious thing. So a number of examples. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. So there was no king in Israel at that time, and everybody did their own thing. Each person did what was right in their own eyes. Well, this is what I think we should do. If they don't agree with me, I'm going to do it anyways. That was a time of chaos, a time of confusion. This is history. This is history. You might want to read also about, um, you know, Paul had to deal with things. 2 Timothy 1.15, he says, all those in Asia have turned away. They've all gone. So Paul was dealing with things. He talks about uh, Alexander the... uh, the coppersmith gave me a bad time. So Paul was dealing with issues, and he mentions names there. You might also want to read the little account of uh, Diotrephes in Third John, verses 9 and 10. It says, he loves the preeminence. And look this up in some other translations. He loves the preeminence. He wants to take over the lead. He wants to take over the lead. He receives us not. He won't listen to us. (laughs) He doesn't acknowledge our authority, Paul was saying. He's prating against us with malicious words. Translated, he ridicules us with wicked words. You guys don't have any faith. Brethren, this is history that is recorded for us in the scriptures. But in terms of current history... Back to the comment that Mr. Weston and I had, or conversation. Doug, we're too old for this. <laughs> We've been down this road before. I just counted up about ten different times since we were in college. I wouldn't mention a lot of names. One individual back here on the East Coast had a legitimate issue with one of the leaders. But that multiplied into a whole list of things. And one of the guys that I taught with, I talked with him later, and he said, Doug, don't be surprised if next year we have our own summer camp. And don't be surprised if we start doing things a little bit different back here. Because they were rebelling against the authority of the church at that time. We've had others wrap themselves in Mr. Armstrong's blanket. Well, I knew him. I did this with him. I talked with him. My wife was his secretary. (laughs) All kind of things to give credibility to what they are doing. Uh, We've had people leave believing that they were prophets. We've had people leave that believe and claim that they're apostles. We've had uh, people leave over all kinds of issues. Today the issue is masks and singing. We had uh, a minister in one part of the country believe that we should all have our heads covered. 
We should all wear hats to church. I had a visit with a guy down in Austria. He said, you need to come see me because I've, I've come across something that's really important. And if you just come and listen to me, uh, the church is going to grow like crazy. So I went down. We started talking. Talked about a half an hour. I said, so what is the issue that you understand that would really help us grow? He said, speaking in tongues. Okay. I said, do you speak in tongues? Yeah, several times a day. Do you know what you're saying? No. But I feel so good. We've had sacred names. People come on. We have to pray to God with just a special name. I gave a lecture, and I'm getting close to time here, so I'll quit. But I gave a lecture, like one of our, a number of our regional conferences, on ten keys to avoiding deception. Ten keys to avoiding deception. Let me just mention a couple of those keys. One would be to avoid and stay away from single issues. Avoid getting carried away on, by single issues. It could be speaking in tongues. It could be sacred names. It could be, I'm not going to wear a mask. It could, it could be any one of a number of single issues that can take people out of the church. These are... are are dangerous things. Another one would be get both sides of the story. Get both sides of the story. Uh, I'd written these things down as Proverbs 18, verse 17, I think it is. It says, The first person to mention his side of the story seems right until his neighbor comes along and provides other things. In some of these congregations where we're having issues today, have only heard one side of the story. And they've heard that for three, four, five months. So it's not surprising that they're confused. It's not surprising. One of the reasons we sent out the reading materials that we did this week is to see here's another side of the story, not just from one person, but from multiple people. There's safety in a multitude of counsel. So get the other side of the story before you jump. Get a bigger perspective. Another thing to avoid is rumors. Don't listen to rumors. And when you get on the Internet and on Facebook, there's some of the wildest rumors I've ever heard. But get the other side of the story. Some of these things are so way out. It's incredible. But if they're said with conviction and enough people say it at the same time, then it must be true. No, it's not true. So a number of things can be done to avoid getting caught up in some of these issues. Brethren, we appear to be living towards the end of an age. And we understand from 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Very difficult times are coming. And we're not there yet. We appear to be approaching that. Satan's efforts are going to double. He wants to deceive. He wants to distract. You know, and I think in one sense, and I don't mean to be demeaning, but this issue over the masks and singing is really a tempest in a teapot. Now, if you're in the teapot, (laughs) it's no fun. It's confusing. But when you look at 1% of the people 
maybe a hundred or so out of ten thousand. You know, back off and get the big picture. This has happened before. People leave, they'll take hundred people, two hundred people. What happens to them down the road? They all begin to come apart. Don't let any man take your crown. Don't let any man's ideas take your crown. Don't let them pull you off course. Satan's efforts are going to increase. It's not going to be any fun. But we've got to be prepared to deal with the reality, to deal with the real world, and to help people in this world understand why it's been such a mess, to help them understand there is hope for the future, to help our young people that might be confused right now because of what they've experienced. You don't need to panic. This has happened before, and you watch, maybe six months, maybe a couple years. Uh, Things are going to be different. But we've got to maintain our focus. We've got to maintain our focus through these things. If you follow these steps that we talked about, remembering that God is in charge, you value your calling, you understand that calling, you're going to hang on to it, you focus on the big picture, what is the mission of the church, what is your personal mission, growing and developing the mind of God, building a firm foundation and shore up those things. In fact, I was walking through the office the other day, and looked at the floor in the kitchen up there. Some of those marble tiles are beginning to break up. (laughs) There's some holes there. So the way you fix that, you can patch it, or you can pull out the tile and put in a fresh one that doesn't have any holes in it. We realize that our foundation is a little bit weak here or there. Shore it up. Number five, work on developing the skills of leaders, successful people. How do successful people solve problems? Follow the instructions in the book. And when something breaks, you get out of the instruction manual and you, you look to see if you're doing it right. You can't just ignore it because you want to focus on something else. And then learn from history. Some of you old guys and gals, you're very valuable. You're very valuable because you've experienced a lot of things. Share those things. And young people, keep your eyes open. Watch. Listen. And one of these days, you'll be able to share some very valuable things, too, with some other young people that might be confused. Brethren, with God's help, let's stay in his church. Let's stay focused on our mission. We've got a lot of of things to do before Jesus Christ returns. But we want to be in the kingdom of God together, of one mind and one spirit. That's why we're here, and that's why we want to be in the kingdom of God together.